The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. In the studio, we have former Western Victoria MP Simon Ramsey. Good to see you, Simon. Yeah, it's great to be in the studio, Mitchell, on such a beautiful day. It's really good to have you in the studio. And I see that you were going for a walk around Wangum Walk, which is the uh, wave attenuator around the Yacht Club. I did. I took the opportunity on this, well, it was a beautiful weekend. Um, of uh, my summer weather, isn't it? Certainly spring anyway, and I hadn't been out to see that wave. What do you call it? I call it an wave attenuator. attenuator. Well, whatever it's called, uh, I must say it's working because certainly on the uh, Cariah Bay side where it was quite choppy, uh, it was actually very smooth uh, on the other side, which I assume is the oh, point good, of it. Because it wasn't so, cheap. <laughs> it wasn't cheap. So at least it does the and job. And it does provide... Um, some uh, smoother seas for those sailboats that are coming into the marina, obviously. But it was a lovely walk out there and back. And Eastern Beach looked fantastic um, yesterday in the sunshine. There was families everywhere out having barbecues and using the, um, you know, the Ferris wheel and even Jeff's... um, uh, merry-go-round thingy you put there some years ago and yeah no the place was busy and lots of families out and about so it was great to see and it definitely is summer weather tomorrow 30 degrees wednesday 32 so that's as summer as it gets i, I think. know and i'm painting down at lawn mitchell's a terrible spot to get a painting job and mm. just then pack the bathers um, uh, <laughs> might be an opportunity to have a swim afterwards sounds great now lots happening in politics i suppose maybe we just uh, touch on john Aaron's retirement um i just uh, did a look on the numbers of the seat of lara during the news, not quite as much as 25%, but it's a 19% margin effective from the last election. And John got about 59% of the primary vote. So he's in before it even goes to preferences, which is probably the envy of a lot of MPs, I'd imagine. Yeah, he's always had a very strong primary vote out of Lara. And um, John's a very experienced politician and knows his electorate well. Um, and probably not unexpected, certainly from my uh, personal view, that he would take the opportunity to retire this year. He's had a number of challenges over the last couple of years and it seems both parties are going through some renewal in respect to those that are seeking retirement. So not unexpected and um, as you know, I've been, uh, I've always had a good relationship with John and uh, certainly I was very um, upset, disappointed when he had that heart attack and Mm. then he's had some other health issues so I wish him well in retirement and hopefully now he will be able to take the opportunity to get his health back on track. We'll ask him if he wants to stay on and be a political commentator after the election but he might say no I want to just sail off into the sunset. He could well do, I'm sure there's lots of things that he's been storing up that um, uh, he'll take the opportunity to do now, well it won't be till next year of course, he's got... um, uh, at least well, another year, I think, as of year today, a, yesterday. Well, was less it? than a couple of days. It's the 26th of November and yeah. today's the 29th, so yeah, a so year minus three days. So it's another 12 months and election campaign. It's always quite arduous. Uh, and, because uh, he has to be wheeled out to support the new person, I'd imagine. Yeah, I'm not sure how quickly uh, the faction or the right faction will... Uh, instill a new candidate. I assume people have known about this for a while, right? It wouldn't just be suddenly found out on the weekend. No, I'm sure there's been some wheeling and dealing between the unions about who will parachute into that seat. They don't seem to have to go through the 
democratic process uh, that the Liberal Party does. And in fact, speaking of that, I was down at the Senate pre-selection, Jeff Shedd's last weekend, where we um, uh, nominated and uh, voted for both Sarah Henderson as being the number one ticket holder for that Senate position, uh, the two positions, and Greg Mirabella from... Um, Wangaratta was successful in his uh, nomination for the third spot and Bridget McKenzie from the Nationals retains the second spot. So that was a democratic process voted by over 400 Liberal Party members uh, last weekend. And Greg Mirabella probably comes straight into Parliament very soon. I don't think he's coming yet, has he? But I remember with uh, other Senate vacancies, they move pretty quickly. They do. He'll be in there this week. Of course, he has to go through the process of being... um, uh, nominated through the Victorian Parliament, a uh, joint sitting uh, for his um, for his Liberal Party nomination for that uh, for that seat, and they will be ticked off by the joint uh, parliamentary um, parliament, and then I assume he will quickly fly up to Canberra and resume his seat uh, in the Senate. But with a seat like Lara, is the pressure on for a political party to choose someone who is just sort of a minister material, maybe even future leadership material, because it is such a safe seat and you've got to do something with it? I mean, it'd be great to see someone local, maybe someone from the north or someone from Lara that's really passionate about advocating, because there's plenty that needs to be done around the north. That's true, and I'm always surprised by the voters of the northern suburbs, particularly Lara and Richard Miles, the seat of Corio, that um, they um, continually get disappointed about the lack of infrastructure investment uh, in the north part of Geelong and all the money seems to be going into the marginals in the south that they actually haven't um, even in in respect to an independent put some pressure on the Labor Party to reduce that margin so we are actually seeing some funding flowing uh, back into the north. It's interesting that the major projects uh, that I can remember going to the north are actually being funded by the Liberal Party yet we haven't held those seats for I can't remember when but you know the hospital or the, the medical centre there was an uh, election commitment we made, $33 million for Bowen Health North and obviously the um, the aquatic centre out there, the Northern Hub, something or other, something or other now, whatever it's called uh, was um, committed to by the Liberal Party as well. So I do think they need some push and um, it would be great to see the voters seeing fit to narrow that uh, primary vote that um, John Aaron's enjoyed over the last few years. I know even when the times are good for the Liberal Party, I think the Labor Party still holds the North because um, Peter Loney, when he goes on Dennis's program, I've heard him before tell a story of, I think he was the only Labor MP in the area at one point. It was him and, you know, Anne Henderson and all these sort of people. And uh, he was sort of the lone Labor voice and have times changed a lot since then. But it just goes to show even when the Liberal vote hits the high watermark, the North will stay a Labor-dominated uh, area. Yeah, they seem uh, very, um, I guess, set in their voting patterns in the north. I mean, Anne Henderson didn't have it easy, of course. She uh, was uh, very marginal in her last term. I think she lost that seat by about 700 it votes. So, Wasn't it in 99, didn't it go down by something ridiculous, like even seven votes or something? Yeah, it was very close. I remember Sarah at the time, well, during her election time where she lost Corangamite, reminiscing the fact the margins were very similar to her mother mm. when she lost that um, lower house seats of Geelong. So... Uh, 
Yeah, it's been, look, it's always been a difficult electorate, Lara, for us, uh, as has Geelong, really, and obviously the federal seat of Corio. But I know uh, we're now looking for candidates to run uh, in those seats, uh, both state and federal, and uh, my hope is that voters will see fit to uh, have a look at the policies that we're putting forward in relation to how we can improve the health and well-being uh, of their livability around Geelong and um, reduce those very strong primary voters for Labor into marginal seats. And while we're talking about pre-selections, I have to ask, have you heard any more rumblings about the seats of South Bowen or Ballerine, any more former councillors or current councillors putting their hands up? Well, I think I said to you last time, Mitchell, on your show, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw at least one, possibly two councillors that have Liberal leanings that may well want to contest one of those two seats. South Bowen, I think, is... um, a, uh, a, a winnable seat for the Liberal Party. I think um, the margins through the redistribution of the boundaries have, have a lent towards some um, greater competition in that area for, for both Labor and Liberal. But of course, the independents will most likely, where their preferences shift, will probably uh, determine the outcome of uh, the success, whether it uh, be Darren Cheeseman. I assume he's standing again in that seat. He for said Labor he Party. is on this program, yeah. And uh, we will nominate um, a candidate. Um, uh, for that seat, I think, post-Christmas at this stage. But, um, of course, we don't know with uh, this new emergent, this new mutant uh, COVID, um, how that might impact on the restrictions that might be placed on us leading up to Christmas. Mm. Um, in terms of the actual electorate of South Bowen, you'd think it would have to be a, a seat that was won if the opposition wants a chance to actually form government because they've got to make gains in areas like South Bowen to be in the race, surely. That's true, and it's interesting to see uh, Albanese's been down a couple of times now, I think just in the last three weeks around the South Barn Road, and I think they've just made a funding announcement for a further extension of the duplication. So the Labor obviously see they need to shore up Darren Cheeseman's uh, primary vote uh, and... Uh, I'll wait with bated breath when our policies come out in respect to the Geelong region. Interesting, uh, Matthew Guy's been uh, in Geelong twice in the last couple of weeks. One, once talking to the Geelong Chamber, and again, I think somewhere in Mar- uh, in early December, we'll be on the Bellarine. So I expect to hear some announcements of commitments we'll make in the, on the Bellarine and around Geelong when Matthew visits again. And uh, just on that point, federally, Anthony Albanese has been here, and I see alongside Libby Kirk, he's announced that they're going to fund stage two of the Bowen Heads Road duplication. So at the moment, all the work that they're doing on the goes as far as Reserve Road. This then takes you through, I think, is it Lower Dunede Road? Yeah, which makes sense. And what we should have well, done it the first time, surely. Absolutely, of course. Um, it, God, that road is a mess at the moment. I travel there regularly. My mother lives in Bowenhead, so I shoot down there a lot. And, uh, of course, the roadworks are creating chaos um, down uh, around where that activity is. And, of course, with the extension of Armstrong Creek, Warralilly, the houses going up um, along that stretch of road, it is, it's almost like it's too late, Mitchell. We should have been doing that road years ago when it was first moved. I think Andrew, Andrew Kodos made that funding announcement maybe two elections ago. And, of course, now we've just got a bottleneck of of uh, road activity and houses and tradies and, you know, a lot of things happening in that looking at the bypass over the uh, the Marshall Railway line to accommodate uh, more trains. It's just, it is a mess around that area. And, of course, I think it's been aggravated by the fact that there's been so much building going on uh, and, of course, no road infrastructure put in place prior to it. Now, the Omnicrom variant, the political parties, I think, from what I can see at both 
um, the Labor side and the Liberal side at a state level, they've both said that uh, they don't want to have more statewide lockdowns. I'm sure someone, either the Premier or someone else, I could have to find the quote, but they've said we're not going to have statewide lockdowns anymore. Matthew Guy yesterday at his campaign launch slash rally said uh, no more lockdowns, no ifs, no buts. It's a pretty bold claim because you just don't know what Omnicrom is going to do and whether the current vaccines work against it. I think they're, they're crunching the numbers and trying to work that out now, but they're not sure. Well, I think, um, I know elections do, uh, I think, and as I said to you on this program, bring out the best and worst in our elected representatives. I'm quite sure Daniel Andrews, given he's told us for two years now, most of his decisions are based on public health advice, so now sort of dictating when and if uh, lockdowns might occur without that advice, which to me is quite bizarre. I understand there's a lot of uh, voter sensitivity around lockdowns and of course we're running up to an election but um, uh, I must say and I haven't spoken to anyone that actually went to that uh, Liberal Party launch down in Dandenong we had on the weekend about the rebuild um, that Matthew um, that Matthew's, I, I guess, slogan has been no more lockdowns and I understand he's trying to find a point of difference but again, uh, Matthew all the way over the, the last uh, you know, few months he's been opposition leader has indicated that they would follow public health advice and respect to whether it's a new uh, mutant um, COVID pandemic or a current one um, yet has already dictated now that the party won't support any lockdowns under any circumstance it's interesting after being quizzed about that through an interview he did on the weekend. He actually then opened the door to say, well, of course, there might be circumstances where a lockdown or part lockdown might be needed in Victoria. Well, you can't eat your beds, mate. Mm. You you either you do it or you don't. And I thought it was a silly silly commitment to make, given given that we don't know what what's going to face us in the future about whether it's uh, COVID or anything else in respect to pandemics. It just seems to me to fly in the face of what we've been talking about in respect to following public health advice. And having said that, again, I have to say, um, even in Canberra, uh, Mitchell, there's strange things happening uh, from uh, the Prime Minister's office in respect to how they're responding to this election campaign. I understand, obviously, the polls are indicating that Labor will win if we had an election today, but this uh, carry-on about the Integrity Commission and uh, the Prime Minister's re- response to ICAC's um, investigation uh, concerning the previous Premier of New South Wales and suggesting that um, uh, it was a kangaroo court uh, and um, undermining uh, the Integrity Commission of New South Wales, basically. And I've, I've spent a lot of time looking at the IBAC we have here in Victoria. I went to seven countries across the world with a parliamentary team looking at anti-corruption commissions. And I can tell you the IBAC one is... Um, and is seeking continual improvement is is probably one of the better ones we saw around the world. And just because ICAC has public hearings doesn't mean it's a kangaroo court, as the Prime Minister called it. But it, it's just become overtly political. He's overreached, and I understand it's because he wants to um, win Warringah, and he sees Gladys as being uh, probably the only opportunity the Liberal Party can win that seat. So I just think the Using the politics, particularly in relation to election campaign, to undermine anti-corruption bodies is not a good look for a current Prime Minister.
To be the first term independent is very difficult, although uh, Karen Phelps lost to Dave Sharma, so it shows it can be done. Yeah, it can be done. I'm not suggesting um, Gladys wouldn't make a good candidate for that seat, but I just think the way the Prime Minister went about it mm. in respect to using ICAC um, as the sort of uh, the stick, if you like, in respect to um, uh, sort of suggesting it undermined, um, you know, anti-corruption bodies and Gladys was unfairly dealt with by ICAC and still would be a good candidate. The fact is, of course, the investigation is still current and we have uh, obviously still awaiting the outcome of that investigation. So, I look, just my personal view is I think the, the Prime Minister overreached on, on that issue as he has on a number of other issues. So I'm sort of a little concerned about the way uh, the PM is responding in this campaign. Did you see the photo of, um, it was Bridget Archer who I think crossed the floor, didn't she, on that vote? And uh, there was a photo of Josh Frydenberg and it was being shared by the Labor MPs on Twitter. It looked like he was sort of standing over her and I think he's since come out and said, no, that's not what happened. Um, but, you know, just one of those moments, I suppose, it's captured in time. Yeah, it was uh, quite a... Um a striking photo, wasn't it? Um, my understanding was uh, Joshua was merely trying to console her and perhaps encourage her to come to his office and have a chat about why she crossed the floor and why it couldn't be done in-house. But I have to say uh, it's great to see some backbenchers have a bit of backbone when they are standing up what they believe is, uh, you know, important values and important policy positions uh, for them. Of course, she's in a marginal seat too of Bass down in Tasmania, so let's not forget that. It was no doubt politically motivated somewhat as well, but nevertheless, I thought, and I agreed with her, uh, I'd like to see more of our backbenchers take a stand, particularly in respect to the, um, the lack of desire by the current government, even though it's election commitment, to put a bill into Parliament, uh, even if it's a draft bill, uh, in respect to its commitment to have an integrity commission, because it looks like, you know, the fear is, of course, half a cabinet would be facing corruption charges if we had a corruption commission with teeth. Um, mm. that's the sort of gossip that's going around. Well, why, why are they afraid of putting a bill up? And they say, well, we're waiting for Labor to tick off and then it'll just sail through. Well, Labor won't tick off on a bill they uh, like in principle but don't like in detail. So let the debate be had in the House, which is the normal chain of events. Um, what do you think is going to happen with that? Do you think they'll need to get something through to get that off the agenda for the next federal election or will it play out and really become a, an election issue? Well, I think um, depending on what happens with this COVID mutants, uh, that plays out in uh, the parliament this week. Uh, I gather there's national there's a national cabinet today or tomorrow to talk about how they, uh, the states will deal with the quarantine of um, some of these international arrivals from South Africa and others of interest. Um, but I would have thought the Integrity Commission bill or lack of will dominate question time a fair bit. Uh, this week, and also they've got the religious, um, is it a vilification act bill? I can't just remember the terminology of it yet. I'm still not clear about what all that means either. They've got a sexual discrimination act which deals with a number of the concerns within that religious bill. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of not sure in what the gains and losses are. And it's all going to be resolved, bill. is it, by Thursday? When's yeah. the last day of Parliament? Thursday? Something Correct. Like that? And it's a bit like the uh, pandemic bill in Victoria. Here, I think this is the last sitting week uh, that the government's got the opportunity to put some sort of uh, legal framework around replacing the emergency powers in respect to pandemics. So I'm not sure what the discussions with the crossbench or how that went 
this week, but my understanding is there's still shorter numbers. I'm assuming that um, no one's buckled on the crossbench because if they had, they would have just rammed it through as quickly as possible, wouldn't they? Um, yeah, well... Uh, uh, or can you not do that in the Legislative Council? Do you have to listen to everyone go through everything line by line and that's why they have these overnight long sittings? Well, they can um, uh, sort of truncate the debate... Uh, there's a number of legal manoeuvres they can use in their council to do that, but my understanding is they probably won't bring it to debate unless they've got the numbers. They'll have to put in some temporary framework to deal with the um, sunset clause of the current uh, emergency powers. Mm-hmm. Um, but Especially with Omnicrom. Yeah, of course, which might might give it a little more uh, attention this week with some urgency around the government needs some legal structure to be able to implement public health orders and uh, I think it's sunset, doesn't it, in December 15th? Yeah, something, something like, like that, yep. So, I mean, if this is the last sitting and there doesn't appear to be another sitting date likely to be put in place that um, they'll, they'll need to get a crossbench across the line this week. I think the transport party have, um, are sort of are more endeared to potentially some of the amendments the government have put before them. But, you know, time's running out. What are we, Monday? They've got to have it done and dusted by or Wednesday's opposition day. So it's really only Tuesday and Thursday they've got the opportunity to Mm. get the bill through. And then, of course, it's got to go down to the lower house again. So uh, time is running out. Yeah. Uh, Do you think they'll put up, well, as you said, time's still running out, but would they put up some sort of more watered-down bill just to have those fundamentals there so they can control who's coming in and out of Victoria? I would have thought so. I thought it was pretty watered down now from what the government wanted initially. So I would have thought they'd find something that would satisfy at least one crossbencher that hasn't yet supported the, uh, the bill. Uh, again, the Liberal Party has put itself in a, a sort of a, a no-win position in respect to, uh, well, they've committed to throwing the bill out, haven't they, if they win the next election. So we'll have no legal structure in respect to emergency powers uh, to introduce health, public health orders. So, again, the Liberal Party haven't really given any themselves any wriggle room in what they would agree to in principle in the bill. They're just going to chuck it out. Although plenty of political parties say that and then when they actually form government, they don't. I know that, but we we, t- we t- tend to retain our memories a bit more these days, don't we? Because interesting. I think you and I do. I don't know about everyone else. Well, yet. they could replay this discussion like they can replay any commentary made by our respective leaders pre-election and then replay it again post-election, and perhaps then the voters would make some judgment about uh, how honest. Uh, they are in what they say. Well, it's been fascinating uh, talking to you again. We've got one more of these chats left for 2021. Would you believe in two weeks' time? And then that's it. It's gone so quickly, Mitchell, um, but I really enjoyed uh, working with you this year. Yeah, likewise. So uh, we'll talk to you one more time. Maybe we'll be able to reflect back on the year that was, although it's hard to see it being much of anything except lockdowns, but we'll find something, I'm sure. Yep, thank you. Thank you, former Western Victoria MP Simon Ramsey there. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.